Let's talk about feasibility versus predictability. These are two super important variables in healing from chronic illness like Lyme disease or CFS. Buying supplements at the health food store is feasible. Anybody can do it. But the predictability of success is very low. You're not going to find a lot of Lyme patients or chronic fatigue patients who agree that a certain supplement helped them. In fact, probably the longer you are away from when they purchase the supplement, the less they're going to even remember it or say that it helped them. If they're hyped about a supplement today, they're super excited, they think it's going to work, ask them in two or three years if it really helped them. You know, they took it two or three years ago. Do they even remember it? Did it help them? Did it have lasting effects? Nine out of 10 times or 99 out of 100 times, they're going to say, no, it was a waste of money or it helped a little and then the effect wore off. On the other hand, there are some things that are very predictable, but they are not feasible. If you could somehow get your hands on Captain Kirk or Captain Picard's uh, Enterprise spaceship and you flew to Pluto, it would be very predictable that you could grab some dirt from Pluto and run samples on it. Like that's a 100% probability that you could do that. But the feasibility of getting a spaceship and getting yourself to Pluto is about zero. Now, why do I bring up these these funky variables here and these, these wild examples? Well, I think there's a lot more going on behind the scenes with feasibility and predictability when people are trying to recover from chronic illness. And they usually get very stuck in this web. For example, from what I have seen researching mold avoidance now for about five years, and I take no credit for any of this because it's all been written down and and documented before by people who are smarter than me, is that mold avoidance outcomes are very predictable. If somebody is able to get their hands on good information and do proper mold avoidance and not make up some random rules and guesses about mold avoidance, but actually follow experienced mold avoiders and do mold avoidance, it's very predictable that they will have health gains and a lot of health gains and health gains that just get more and more and better and better over the years rather than diminish like supplements. And this is you know, assuming that somebody has mold illness, not some other unrelated condition, not not every health problem in the world is mold illness, but assuming that they did a mold sabbatical, they came back to their house, they reacted to their house, it's very predictable. But it's on the scale of how difficult, you know, health treatments are, mold avoidance is less feasible than many other things. It's less feasible than taking a bottle of pills, a bottle of supplements. It's less feasible than getting an IV. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's definitely not impossible, but it's less feasible. It's it's on the difficult end of treatments. You might have to give up your house. You might have to travel. You might have to pay some expenses out of pocket that insurance companies don't pay. Uh, you might have to or want to sleep in the back of a pickup truck, which I did, which actually turned out to not be very hard or infeasible. It was just a new skill set that I had to learn. Now, as a, as a side note, one of the things I really like about mold avoidance is it's very low risk. It's very non-invasive. So, you know, I'm not doing any experimental medications. I'm not letting doctors do procedures on me. It's, it's low risk. It's non-invasive. It's, it's just, you know, pretty benign in that regard. So that is nice, but it's hard. And this is why people don't just try it unless they're desperate. I wish more people would try it because they could prevent severe mold illness if they tried it 
sooner. But most people don't try it because it's hard to do. And you're not going to find a lot of people who are willing to just try it if they're only moderately sick. Now, so far, it's been a pretty boring podcast. And I haven't really said anything new. But here's where it's going to get interesting. This is where I think a lot of people are misled. They assume that feasibility is better than predictability. And here's what I mean by that. They may spend years or decades doing the most feasible treatments, even if they're not the right ones that are going to give them the lasting results. So they're going to just keep going and seeing the same doctor over and over and taking these supplements and ordering, you know, products on Amazon and, you know, doing all these things that are very feasible. Now, the problem with that is that over the long haul, mold avoidance may actually be more feasible than doing those things. Huh? What did Brian just say? He just got through telling me that mold avoidance was less feasible and harder. Yeah, that's in the short term. But over the long run, mold avoidance may actually be more feasible. What do I mean by that? Mold avoidance involves a very steep learning curve and a very big amount of sacrifice early on. Early on, you know, there's all the chaos of what do I do? Where do I go? Learning about decontamination and perceiving toxins and maybe finding out that your house is beyond remediation. Maybe even your city has some outdoor super toxins. Going through the process of intensification, all this stuff. It's like, yeah, it is hard. But eventually, you're going to get over the hump. And even though life still isn't perfect, mold still damaged you. There's still a lot of things to deal with. You still have to deal with the power curve. You're going to get to a point where everything in life becomes better and more feasible. And it, it might not be perfect, but at least it's going in the right direction. It's like a boat that steers two degrees off course is going to be way off course, or a boat that's on course is going to stay on course. I have so many examples of this, you know, in my own mold avoidance journey, where I was able to make these gains and get my recovery and go head in the right direction. I, I just was telling somebody that, that such a huge change when I started doing mold avoidance is instead of having thoughts like, what is my family going to do without me? And what is it going to be like to die early? I started having thoughts like, what if I live till 80 years old? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? I'm only halfway done with my life. It's probably a little optimistic. I'm probably more like 60% done with my life, but everything changes, right? I was able to start a new career. I have the most successful career that I have ever had in my whole life that started about two years ago, when I had my brain back for mold avoidance, I was too dumb, too sick, too disabled to do anything with a new career when I was at my sickest. So there's secrets behind the curtain here, guys. What seems feasible early on may not be the best route. It might be better to take a more predictable route of healing and even if it's hard and not as feasible, right? And we know this in other areas of life. We know that uh, getting a, a college degree or a PhD or a medical degree or a law degree is not as feasible as working at McDonald's. I can go work at McDonald's and probably get a job in, in an hour. I go put my application in as long as I have a good background check. Everything's probably fine. I'll be, you know, serving up burgers and fries tomorrow. But the more predictable way to financial success would be to go get a law degree, Right. And again, this that's a loose example. I'm not a huge fan of, I personally am, am a renegade entrepreneur, so I'm not saying everybody should go get a law degree, but you know what I mean. I'm trying to make a point here. Sometimes the harder, less feasible way gives you more predictable results. Now, 
the the counter example is the person who thinks that they're saving themselves all the headaches of doing mold avoidance. They're like, oh, that's that's too hard, right? They might be in the short run winning, but in the long run, they are getting less predictable outcomes and they may get sicker and sicker and sicker to where they end up having to do mold avoidance anyway, or they're too sick to even start mold avoidance, or they require a lot more mold avoidance than they might have required had they started early, right? So there's more than meets the eye going on behind the curtain of the balance of the scale between feasibility and predictability. It's not always obvious if you're only looking at a one, two, or five-year time frame. Now, the last comment that I would like to make on this is that I find it beyond fascinating. I'm a very inspired, fascinated person. I I will, you know, scroll through my TikTok feed and watch a three-minute video on some random topic that I know nothing about because I'm fascinated by it. I'm very, I like to think of myself as open-minded and easily fascinated by things. So this is one thing that absolutely blows me away about mold avoidance. And I'm pretty sure you you probably haven't had this thought before because it took me a long time to, to, to think about and articulate this thought. When you tell somebody that mold avoidance worked for you, um, the first thing they usually say is, oh, well, that sounds really hard or impossible, which, which may be true. Those things may be true. But why is nobody talking about the fact that it works? Why is nobody talking about the fact that it has such a predictable outcome? Why is nobody talking about the fact that the fundamentals of mold avoidance basically turn everything we know about Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, and chronic illness upside down on its head, right? Like, with other areas of science, we, we, we're happy to talk about that. We'll, we'll look through a telescope and we'll look 5,000 light years out into space and we'll see a nebula and we'll learn something new about the universe and it'll be amazing and the whole scientific community will be talking about it. And even though we know we will, we're never going to be able to go see that nebula, right? I'm a space nerd, so I can tell you that if a nebula is 5,000 light years away, even if we could travel at the speed of light, which we can't even come close to going 1% the speed of light, even if we could travel at the speed of light, we would have to travel for 5,000 years to get there, right? 5,000 years. What is that? Five, 50 generations of people on a, the same spaceship, right? It's never going to happen, at least not in our lifetime or you know, even 50 generations down the road. But yet science will be obsessed with it and talk about it. It'll be all, in all the publications. Why does everybody only talk about the feasibility of mold avoidance? Now, I get it. It is hard and it is... It is, you know, it's a lot of sacrifices are involved. But, but why is nobody talking about the predictability of mold avoidance and how it, it, it works to save people who are like on their deathbed? Like it's like science has no interest in this at all. They're like, oh, well, that's, that's too hard. It's, it's, it's not feasible. I mean, first of all, it's, it's way easier than traveling 5,000 light years. And it's way easier than even maybe getting a $5 million cancer treatment that only has 50-50 odds of survival. So, um, you know, it's, it's not really like moving mountains to do mold avoidance. And it, it just boggles my mind. This is actually probably the primary reason that I stay interested in making mold avoidance content. I mean, most of my mold avoidance content is, is based on the feasibility. If you guys subscribe to my premium podcast, this is a free podcast episode you're listening to right now. But if you pay the $10 per month, to listen to all of the new episodes that I've updated, uploaded in the last like three months, 
um, you'll see that I have these 30, 40, 50 minute long intensive podcast episodes that explain how I did mold avoidance, the feasibility, the hacks, the tricks, the ways that I succeeded and tried to save money and all of the lessons that I learned. Don't get me wrong. I'm super interested in that and I will continue to make content on that. But the thing that really rings my bell, that really gets my goat, that really drives me up the wall is it, it, it keeps me around is the fascination that nobody talks about the predictability of mold avoidance, not Lyme disease patients that I know, not doctors that I know, not researchers that I know. Nobody even cares or is interested in it at all. It's a very low level of interest. I find that really fascinating. And that fascination is one of the things that keeps me around and makes me so interested in this topic. If one day all of a sudden, uh, Harvard University and Stanford University and, and Rutgers and, you know, all these fancy places were like, wow, all these mold avoiders are getting better doing mold avoidance. It's, it's solving their underlying health problems. We better look into this. We better, you know, figure out what's going on. And we better challenge the current paradigms. Then I would probably get bored. I would be like, well, there's a lot more money and smart people in research laboratories getting behind this now. Little Brian Rosner probably doesn't have much to add. I would probably go do something else and I would get bored. But the fact that I'm the only one here, and that's not totally true. There's other mold avoidance community leaders who, who are awesome and who discovered this way before me. But in my little bubble you know, it feels like I'm one of the only ones out here, you know, waving my fist, pounding my fist in the air saying, hey, this is, this is real. This is, you know, this is predictable outcomes, right? And it's like in cancer therapy, they don't stop you from pursuing it if it's a little bit hard or infeasible. They'll do $100 million clinical double blind placebo controlled studies to find out if a pill will cure cancer. And I actually had a friend who had a brain tumor and praise the Lord, he did recover, but he went to a bunch of doctors who first, you know, couldn't do it, couldn't help him. And he ended up having to go to UC San Francisco and get in this operating room that looked like a spaceship. Let's bring the spaceship analogy back in. And I have all of these fancy robotic and procedures and all this stuff. And they were able to take the brain tumor out of the very middle of his brain, right? That wasn't very feasible 20 years ago. They worked really, really hard to get that level, level of feasibility to be within reach of a normal person, right? So there's, there is interest in hard treatments everywhere else, but not in mold avoidance. And it's just fascinating because if you had a $100 million grant, maybe you could come up with a pill or a supplement or a procedure that would cure people of this illness without even the need to do extreme mold avoidance, right? I mean, even Eric himself has said that extreme mold avoidance was only, he only used it as a, as a way to get researchers attention. He was interested in showing people, Hey, this works. Hey, does anybody want to study this? And nobody was interested. So that's a huge piece that keeps me in the game and keeps me fascinated. It's almost like, okay, this will be my last analogy. Then I'll let this, then I'll let this podcast end. It's almost like you're, you're on a team looking for buried treasure and, and there's 20 people out there digging around in the field and one person finds a little jewel and one person finds a little tiny diamond that's worth, you know, a few grand and one person finds a little piece of gold and you dig up the, the mother load of treasure, right? And, and you can't get it out of the ground without help. And you're like, I need help here. And everybody's like, oh no, that you just, we, we don't believe you. We don't care about that. It's too deep. It's too deep. Let's not dig five feet down and figure out a way to get it out of the ground, right? Let's not research it. You're like, seriously? We just found the mother load that's 
a thousand times bigger and better than whatever you found. And, and you still, you, you want to just go ahead and find little specks, little pieces of dust of, of treasure rather than the mother load that's, you know, is the size of a pickup truck. That's what it feels like to me. So that's what keeps me fascinated by it is that we are literally sitting on this treasure trove of an understanding of physiology and processes um, disease processes that that is totally unprecedented and and nobody cares right so again so if I, i'll just end this on a little bit of a practical note in your own journey um i would challenge you to be take a realistic assessment of feasibility and predictability in your own treatments are you pulling the wool over your eyes, doing treatments that are very feasible, but they have not given you any predictable results over the last 30 years of your chronic illness. Boy, do I have some friends who are in this boat, people who have had chronic illness forever and nothing's working. And so sure, their treatments are feasible, but they're not predictable. Is it time to do something that has more predictable results, even though it's less feasible. Now, I don't know that. I don't know the answer for you. I'm first of all, I'm not I don't know you personally. And second of all, I'm not a doctor. And I'm not in any kind of position to prescribe anything that you should do. But I can challenge you to discuss that question with your family and with a doctor of you know, what, what if I did mold avoidance and I got my life back and my health back and sure I ended up with less money or maybe broke or maybe even in debt. And maybe I ended up not being able to live in the city that I wanted to live in or in the house that I wanted to live in. But was I really living anyway, or was I just decaying and, and, and fading away into nothingness as I get sicker and sicker each year? I know that's what happened to me until the point, you know, it's funny because I, People, you know, a lot of I, I the, the way that I know that a lot of people were not as sick as me, and I'm not talking about most of you guys listening to this podcast, probably almost everybody who's taken the time to get 18 minutes deep into this podcast is as sick as me or was as sick as me. But the way that I know that there are many people who are not or were not is because when I tell them about my first six months doing mold avoidance, they ask me. How did you make the choice to do that? How did you decide to do mold avoidance? What made you decide that? And and that very question to me shows a lack of understanding of what it's like to be super sick. I made no decisions. I did nothing. I went on an accidental. I was so sick. I, I literally was, you know, in the ER seven times in six weeks with no results, no help. And I was in the midst of a horrendous panic attack for about six months. And I'm not prone to panic attacks. This was not like a childhood trauma thing. This was like a physiological panic attack where I would wake up in the morning after, you know, sleeping and, and my heart rate and my blood pressure would be like through the roof. I don't even know if panic attack is the right word. It was more like these episodes of my whole nervous system just like imploding. And I would go to the ER and they'd be like, yeah, your pulse is you know, 70% above normal and your blood pressure is through the roof. And they're like, what are you eating? What are you doing? And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm not eating or doing anything different. Like my body was being possessed. I was really wanting to end myself every day. Right. So when people, and I know a lot of you guys have had that same level of sickness, you know, and this was after suffering from chronic Lyme disease. So when I did an accidental sabbatical, accidental mold sabbatical, um, 
it was actually in the process of getting a, a desperate medical treatment that I was hoping would work. And when I came back and I was reacting to my house and reacting to my stuff, and I was realizing that I did make little improvements when I was away from my house. And I did, you know, and I've stumbled upon an article on the internet about unmasking to mold. I didn't decide, <laughs> I didn't decide to do mold avoidance any more then you would decide to jump out of the way of a moving train that's coming at you, right? Nobody decides that on a conscious level. It's just, it's just reflex, it's instinct. I like to use the analogy of a forest creature like a fox or a bear that's stuck in a hunter's trap and he's been stuck for a week and he's dehydrated and starving and you know animals have been pecking at him and he can't sleep and insects have been eating him away. He's stuck in a trap, right? In the forest, he accidentally got his foot stuck in the trap, right? Um, guy's just decomposing alive. He's on his last leg of life. And, and all of a sudden one day this, the trap snaps open, boom, for some reason, boom, the trap just snaps open, right? And he's gone. He takes off. He's, he's, he just wants nothing to do with that trap anymore. He is out of there. Go look for food, go look for water, go gather yourself, try to get yourself back together. Um, that's what mold avoidance was for me. It, it was just a desperate attempt. And once I had a little inkling or a little clue that it could work because a lot of us get that clue fairly early on. We don't necessarily get the big results early on, but we might get the little clue early on. Um, once, once I had that little spark or that little clue, it was instinct and biology propelling me away from what was harming me right? Just like if you put your hand on a hot stove and you just pull it off really quickly, that's what was happening to me. There was no decision-making. Now, in the process of it, I did have to go through a lot of logistics. And um, I did have to go through, you know, figuring out what to do with my house and my old moldy car and where are we going to go? So there, it wasn't that I wasn't thinking or planning, just like that bear who escapes from the trap needs to decide if he's going to look for food or water or shelter first. There's still some planning and brain function, but the impetus, the, mo the motivation, the momentum is not a conscious act. It's just escaping from death, which is pretty well wired into, into human instinct. Escape from death is, is pretty, pretty well involuntary, if you will. So anyway, I just hope that a lot of people listening don't get to that point and that they can, you know, avoid whatever amount of mold is needed for them to get better. It might not be that the sicker you are, the more extensive mold avoidance is required. There's some people who are very moderately ill who don't need as much. Okay. I've got my point across here. Again, if you want to hear me go into all of the ways that I pursued mold avoidance, all of the how-tos and, um, lessons that I learned, boots on the ground, RVs versus hotels, you know, different types of toxins, how I figured it all out, you can subscribe to my premium podcast episodes, which is $10 a month, and you get access to all of the past episodes. There's about 85 premium-only episodes in the archive of past episodes, and there's about 10 or 20 new episodes that don't appear in the free section or the free website that are new since the podcast went premium. And those are all brand new in the last like three or four months. Um, it's $10 a month. You can cancel at any time. And the way that you access that is if you go to my podcast website, which is limebook.podbean.com, limebook.podbean.com, um, you can uh, see the premium episodes. If you can't find that website, 
um, you can go to um, my Instagram or my Facebook or my TikTok. All of them have a link in bio. That'll take you to the website. And then on the website, on the menu of the podcast website, there's a button that says premium episodes. You can subscribe there if you want. Thanks for listening, guys. Just a disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. And none of this is for medical advice. None of this is telling you what to do. It's all just stuff that I've experienced on my own as one person. Have a great day.